Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm Alex Lloyd, and I'm honored to be here. I want to thank uh, Stephen Shore, who invited me. Um, and um, I'm sure like a lot of the other speakers here, uh, I'm pretty busy. So um, I don't do a whole bunch of these. The reason I'm doing this one is because of Stephen. Uh, I don't know who is uh, ultimately in charge of this program, but uh, he is the one that I know. And I can tell you, knowing him for several years, he is a man of great integrity and uh, caring um, about uh, helping people. And, and that's why uh, he is doing this. And um, so I'm sure there's a lot of people involved. Uh, thank all of you for your wonderful work that I, I think is benefiting the world. Please keep doing it, we need it. And um, that, that's why I'm here, because I believe you guys have uh, found an effective way to help more people. Okay, um, my take is, uh, first of all, I don't know what the other presenters are presenting about. Um, I, I don't know what a single one of them are gonna talk about. I don't know if they're medical doctors or chiropractors or naturopaths or, um, social workers or what. Uh, but my, my area is, uh, is kind of energy medicine and energy psychology. And, and I didn't start there. I started in, um, I started just in counseling. Okay. Uh, trying to help people through counseling. That's the first thing I did. Went and got a PhD in psychology. The reason for that was, uh, the first 12 years of my marriage, my wife was severely clinically depressed. The doctors, uh, I'll never forget, they said, uh, this is the big bad bear of depression. It's genetic, she'll have it till the day she dies. And then they said, the good news, the good news, and, and we were like, yeah, we could use some good news right now. Uh, he said, the good news is we can manage it with medications. And um, that was before I went back to graduate school or anything like that. And, uh, and, I, and so I thought that sounded pretty good. So for the next six years, uh, Hope tried medication after medication. And um, some of them helped a little bit, but even the ones that helped, the side effects were worse than the help. The side effects were worse than the benefit that she got. So um, we knew that was not gonna be the long-term solution because we had pretty much tried all of those and uh, most of them didn't benefit her at all. Some of them she felt worse. And the ones that did benefit, the side effects were worse than the benefit. So, um, so that I, we did a 12 year search uh, to try to find a solution to her depression. That's where I started, okay? Um, for me, this started out of pain and it was the pain of my wife's illness and seeing her um, in agony every single day, uh, knowing what a wonderful, beautiful, lighthearted, kind, compassionate, caring person she was, that stuff didn't really get out of her a lot because of the depression. The depression kind of kept her in a, a jail, so to speak, made her sort of a mental, emotional, physical slave. And if you're not aware of it, depression is very physical as well as the emotional and non-physical. She had physical pain, uh, physical tension and tightness and stress in her body. 
that caused all kinds of problems, uh, headaches and congestion and uh, not sleeping well, aches and pains, you know, all sorts of things like that. Okay. So that's where I come from is, um, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And um, through those 12 years that Hope was depressed and I was traveling all over trying to find a solution, uh, I found a lot of really wonderful things, uh, met uh, some fabulous, incredible people. Uh, even though I didn't find the solution to Hope's depression there, it did really open my eyes to uh, everything that's out there, uh, everything in the world, not only, uh, not only standard medicine with medications and surgeries and things like that, but this opened up the world for the first time for me of natural medicine and all that's available and possible there, as well as the field of energy medicine and psychology, because every cell in the body is electrical. If it has plenty of energy, it tends to function correctly. If it doesn't, it tends to malfunction. Okay, so um, in 2001, I discovered a system for healing. Uh, that to my knowledge had not been discovered before, a closed system uh, of four healing centers on the body that when you activated in a particular sequence, depending on the person's problem, uh, the problem got better and usually pretty fast. Uh, to give you an example, um, we would have people uh, rate their issues zero to 10, 10 being the worst, zero, no problem whatsoever. Then we would have them do a six minute little uh, custom self-treatment. And then we would uh, give them another medical test. Uh, we, we'd give them the zero to 10 and a medical test called heart rate variability. Then they do the six minute process and do uh, and rewrite the zero to 10 now, just their objective opinion but then we would also do the, the heart rate variability medical test again. And typically we do it again in 24 hours. And the results of that is that um, for about 87% of the people that we did that with, and that was thousands over like uh, two and a half, three years, 87% of them went from stress to no stress what is called physiological balance in 30 minutes or less, okay? From stress at a six out of 10, eight out of 10, nine out of 10, and the medical test showing they are in physiological stress and how much they do a six minute treatment, retest, and 87% of them the stress is now gone. And in uh, several other percentages uh, above that 87%, it was almost gone or halfway gone or dramatically better or whatever. And then when we tested them 24 hours later, the numbers were holding. Uh, we, we did that same test with a lot of other natural therapies and virtually every one of them 24 hours later the results are either completely gone or very negligible. With our pre-post and then 24 hours later, uh, I believe over 
we're still in balance 24 hours later from one six minute self treatment. Okay. So that's what I discovered and um, wrote a book about it. It became a, a New York Times bestseller. Uh, we started um, a company helping people with this process out of my basement with very little money, no advertising ever. Uh, we knew it would succeed or fail based on word of mouth, and that's what we wanted. And um, six months later, we had a six-month waiting list. And today we have clients in 50 states, 184 countries. Uh, I'm told by my publishers, Random House and Hachette, it's the largest emotional well-being practice in the world. Um, that blows me away. I never would have imagined in my wildest dreams ever accomplishing anything like that or even writing a book, much less it being a bestseller. Now, why would I say that? Am I just really down on myself? No, I love myself, but I was born with a whole bunch of birth defects. I have extreme dyslexia. I have pretty extreme ADHD. Uh, I consider those a benefit to me now, not a detriment. Um, the guy who owns Virgin Records, um, I saw an interview by him, Branson, and he was calling dyslexia his superpower. And he was saying, I never would have become a billionaire or founded Virgin Records or Airlines or the spacecraft or any of the other stuff without my dyslexia. It's my superpower. Now, I had to learn how to use it. But once I learned how to use it, it became my superpower. Well, I've experienced a similar thing. In my younger years, it about killed me because I did terrible in school. I, was, I finished last. You need to know this about me, the person you're listening to. I finished last, dead last in my high school class academically. I didn't know until the day before graduation if they were gonna let me graduate. And that was already a year later because I flunked kindergarten and third grade because of that same thing. Well, they let me graduate. I figured out as an adult how my brain works and how to use it. And so when I went back to graduate school, I did really great. Finished second in my class, uh, was in the honor society, an officer in the uh, psychology honor society and, and that sort of thing. So I did learn how to use what God gave me um, eventually, but it took a while. Okay, so um, so anyway, that's sort of my story as far as uh, why I'm here, the start. Uh, um, since since getting kind of off the ground, and uh, as you can imagine, at first it was like, are we going to be able to make it financially? Because no one knew what this was. No one had ever heard of it. I mean, I mean, even back then, if you said acupuncture, everyone knew what you were talking about. If you said this weird thing that I do called the healing codes, no one knew what you were talking about. And, and so it took me literally about an hour or two to explain to people what this was just to get them to try it. That's the reason I wrote the book. So I wouldn't have to take an hour or two. I never thought it'd be a book. I, I thought it'd be a manual for my clients that would save me time. But anyway, after we got off, after we got up and, and it went from, 
are we going to be able to stay afloat to um, how do we keep up with demand? Um, we started developing some new things. Um, my newest thing, um, they showed it um, at the first of this when they were introducing me. The Memory Code is my latest book. Uh, it's the first book ever published on how to re-engineer memories. That's the holy grail of psychology. It, everyone knows if you can heal the memories, you can heal the problem, okay? And it took me 30 years to figure out how to re-engineer memories. And, and I will say, uh, I told you, uh, Stephen Shore is the one that invited me to this and a wonderful, great man of integrity that I've known for years now. And I will throw in a little uh, uh, off the cuff, Stephen really likes the memory engineering uh, to do, you know, in his own life. I think he read the book and uh, likes it. So uh, if that helps, um, uh, there it is. And, and many people have said the same thing. And um, so anyway, the um, the memory code is a 10-minute process to change any negative destructive memory that you need to change in order to be happy, healthy, have emotional well-being, and heal the source of your physical health issues. Because the non-physical always creates the physical. So whether it's cancer or diabetes or something like that, that doesn't just come out of thin air from osmosis. That grows out of your non-physical issues and stress. And that's why 95% of all illness and disease is directly attributed to stress. And that's the Center for Disease Control and Stanford University. By the way, about 10 years ago, the Center for Disease Control said it was 85%. They've sensed up that to 95%, okay? All right, so what I'd like to walk you through in the next few minutes is what I call the seven deadly forces. And these are things that I've discovered over years of researching that are seven things that tend to sneak up on people and ambush you from behind, so to speak, metaphorically. In other words, these are things you're not looking out for because you probably don't even know they exist. And when they happen, all of a sudden you're in a panic or confusion. You're not sure what to do. You're not even sure where this came from or why you're feeling it but you can't get it to go away, okay? So understanding these seven deadly forces and how to combat them to me is critical because I've seen so many people do all the right nutrition, do all the right medical stuff, uh, exercise, meditate, do yoga, um, walk, uh, eat well, drink lots of clean water, and they're still unhealthy. And when we dig down, we find that they've got one or more of these seven deadly forces operating in their life and it's sabotaging everything else they're doing. So what I would recommend is don't quit doing anything you're doing. Just go through this process. See if, 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 if any of these are being active in your life and possibly sabotaging your health and happiness and then get rid of it. 
it's hard to get rid of something that you don't even know exists. And if you do know exists, you don't know how to get rid of it. Well, I hope we're going to answer both of those questions by the time we're finished today. All right. So if we could go to the next slide, please. <clears throat> and and uh, this is sort of what I'm, um, this is sort of my take on what we're trying to do here to go from crisis to thriving. And why would I say crisis? <laughs> um, today is May the 11th, 2023. And if you're living during this time, I don't have to explain to you crisis because you know the world is in crisis right now. I mean, most of the people I talk to say, we have never seen a time in history like this time. And, 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 and a lot of that is in a negative way, not in positive ways, all right? Uh, new research came out that said, um, before COVID, anxiety and depression was about seven to eight percent of the population for one, and eight to nine percent of the population for the other. Okay. Post COVID, they are at like 60% of the population at least have depression and anxiety symptoms to the point that it's holding you back in your life, even if it doesn't qualify for an official diagnosis. So we've gone from seven, eight percent to around 60 percent. Another research that came out just in the last month said that today's average teenager, okay, you, you understand that, 2023, today's average teenager has the approximate same stress as a person in the 1950s who would be committed to an insane asylum against their will. That those anxiety and stress levels are basically the same. In other words, if the teenager today was living in the 50s, they would be involuntarily, if needed, put in an insane asylum because of their anxiety and stress and the emotional and mental things that that would create in them. Uh, Scientific American, in about three years ago, came out with a new study that said about 50% of everything you believe about your life from your memories simply is not true. 50%. And then another one from Scientific American about, oh, eight or 10 months ago said that the average person today leans approximately 80% to the negative all the time. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, you're probably familiar. You, I, most people have heard this from the field of psychology because it's like 75, 80 years old, that children, in order to be, in order to be well adapted, to have emotional well-being as an adult, need an approximate 10 to 1 positive to negative ratio of positives to negatives during their childhood growing up. They need about a 10 positive to one negative ratio in order to have emotional well-being as an adult. Well, the same research says that 
the average child gets approximately 10 negatives to everyone positive. So is it a surprise that we lean 80% to the negative? No, it's not, but it causes a huge problem because when you're 80% to the negative, that means you're in physiological stress. You have to be, okay? And if you're in physiological stress, that's where 95 plus percent of all illness and disease comes from, as well as a whole bunch of little aches and pains and depression and anxiety. And that's where it comes from, okay? So we've got, we want to shift from 80% negative to 80% positive and healing all those lies and errors where 50% of what we believe isn't true. We want to heal that 50% and start believing 80 to 90% what is true about our life. And if, if we can do that, and I've been working with clients to do that for 30 years now, and I can just promise you, if you do that, everything in your health is going to get better and a lot of it will go away completely. All right, next slide, please. Okay, these are the seven deadly forces. And any one of these can ruin your life all by itself, okay? And I'm not sure. I've been seeing clients for about 28 years. I'm not sure if I've ever had a client who didn't have at least one of these, okay? And if you have one, it can ruin your life. Most people have more than one, all right? So, uh, and, and I'll run through them. Uh, psychological adaptation, belief perseverance, in case someone is listening to this who doesn't have the, the uh, um, image part of it. Your experience simulator, availability bias, brain states, the illusion of free will, and relationships. Those are the seven deadly forces. And let me tell you, if you want to have health and happiness, you eat all the superfoods you can. I'm all for that. I eat them myself. You walk every day. I walk every day. You drink lots of clean water. I do too. You do all those great things for your health. But let me just tell you, if you've got any one of these seven operating in your life, it is sabotaging all that. Maybe not 100% but probably at least 30, 40, 50% and, and maybe more. All right, next slide, please. Okay, psychological adaptation. This is absolutely mind-blowing, okay? Uh, they did a study to validate psychological adaptation. And this has uh, been both published in the study and from the study they literally did, I think it was a PBS news special on it that was like an hour long thing where they talked about the research, described what it was, why this is such a big deal, um, et cetera, okay? But in the, um, in the study, here's what they did. Uh, and by the way, this has been redone with, with similar results, some of them even more dramatic than the original one, but here's what they did. They took two groups of people, a group of brand new paraplegics. They had just been in some horrible accident that had paralyzed them for life, okay? That's, that's one group. The other group 
is is new lottery winners. Both of these are new groups. They just uh, um, they just won the lottery, or they just had the accident. It, it's been you know maybe not the last month, but it's been recent. Okay. So both of these groups have had a recent major life change, one that seems positive, one that seems negative, okay? So they give both groups all these uh, tests for uh, happiness, uh, hope for the future, contentment with their life, you know, things like that. And as you would expect, the lottery winners scored through the roof, unbelievably positive, uh, like just almost euphoric. And the new paraplegics scored through the floor. Um, a lot of them, I don't even know what the purpose of living is now. Um, uh, I don't see any reason to go on. I feel like my life is over. I mean, oh man, huge negative stuff, as you would expect. All right. So they do no intervention at all. Nothing. These people just go home and keep living their lives. And then they come back in six months and they retest both groups. And in the retest, remember the pretest, lottery winners through the roof positive, paraplegics through the floor negative. In the retest six months later, there's no difference. The paraplegics are just as happy with their life, just as hopeful for the future, just as content as the lottery winners. How is that even possible? I mean, I've, I've tried to put myself in that study about a million times since I heard about this study years ago. And I believe that every single time I would I would pick winning the lottery. I believe every single time if I won the lottery, I would be way happier than if I was a paraplegic. I believe 100% of the time if I became a paraplegic, I would be much more unhappy than even if I just even if I didn't win the lottery and just nothing happened, okay? But compared to winning the lottery, oh my goodness, what a difference. But you know what? I would be wrong. Based on the research, if I got hit by a truck and was a paraplegic, chances are in six months, I would be just as happy and content with my life as if the six months previous I had won the lottery instead of being in the accident and becoming a paraplegic, okay? So this is a mechanism that is built into every one of us that in six months or less can make you okay in any scenario, any scenario virtually. Now let's say 99% because nothing's 100%, okay? If you're in the Holocaust or something, I'm not going to assume you're, you're going to be okay. I'm not going to take it that far. But the research says in six months or less in virtually any situation, psychological adaptation, if it's working correctly, will make you feel 
like you're okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you, you wanna know the number one, no, the number two complaint I've heard from my clients over all the years I've been doing this, number one is pain. But the number two is, I'm just not okay. I'm not even sure how to put it. I'm not sure, even sure the words, but something's not right. Something's not okay. I'm just, something's not okay. Well, that's what they found psychological adaptation does in six months or less. Whatever it's doing inside you, the end result is you feel like you're okay. Well, what does that tell you? It tells you then that in my clients for 30 years, those people, psychological adaptation has not been working in their lives or they would not have been able to come in and tell me that because most of them, what had happened to them, which was the reason they were seeing me, had happened way more than six months ago. Oh, 95%, way more than six months ago. And they were still not okay. What does that mean? Psychological adaptation is not working. All right, so what makes it not work? Stress and pressure and anxiety. The things that we've heard since COVID have absolutely gone through the roof and skyrocketed to an unprecedented level. The, um, the United Nations and World Health Organization calling it now an epidemic. It is now not gonna become Years ago, they were saying it's gonna become an epidemic. Now they're saying we're here, it is an epidemic. And if your psychological adaptation was working correctly, it would make you okay, even if other people weren't. And it can do that today, if you fix it. So to fix psychological adaptation, you've got to lower your stress barrel, all right? And, and that's the only thing we do. That's the only thing the mechanism, the healing code does that I discovered uh, in 2001. The memory code procedure, it's the only thing it does to re-engineer your memories so that now stress goes down and psychological adaptation kicks in and starts working again. And literally without anything on your part makes you okay. Automatically. Wouldn't that be great? Well, you've got that software in you. It's probably just not working because stress is overwhelming it. And, and, and basically what they found about that is that if you're about 70% to the negative, you know, you know, Scientific American said the average person leans about 80% to the negative all the time. Well, if you're 70% to the negative, it tends to shut down psychological adaptation. It's more than it can overcome, okay? So what I would say is if you feel like something isn't right or okay in your life, there's a good chance psychological adaptation is malfunctioning in you because of too much stress. Reduce the stress and, and that's what the process does and psychological adaptation will start working again and start taking you from that 70, 80% negative over to 70, 
positive, where you feel I'm okay. All right, next slide, please. All right, belief perseverance. This one is, is fascinating. Um, and uh, this was reported, uh, an article in Boston Globe, July 11th, 2010. The name of the article was How Facts Backfire. And what they found, have you ever, uh, you may not be old enough, whoever you are watching this, I'm 63. Um, but but anyway, um, how facts backfire. That's a weird statement. Have you ever heard that statement? How facts backfire. Just think about that for a second. How facts backfire. How can a fact backfire? Okay. Um, back to childhood, if you're old enough to remember. When I grew up, there was a constant argument among uh, people around town about Ford versus Chevy. And this was before Toyota and Honda and all those. Um, and um, it, was, it was pretty amazing because at times it would almost get physical. The confrontation and fights over which is better, Ford or Chevy. And you had a group that was diehard Ford and a group that was diehard Chevy. One of the interesting things about that is that when I was a little bit older, um, one of these arguments happened um, and someone actually brought out like a magazine that was like a consumer report magazine or something like that that had reviewed the Ford and Chevys, okay? It may have been the JD Power, I don't know, but it was something like that. And um, and it and and I don't remember which one it was, but in the in the reviews, they found that one of them was a lot better, at least that model year, over the other. Either the Chevy was way better than the Ford, or the Ford was way better than the Chevy. I don't remember. I don't remember. But anyway, the person read the facts, and I mean, it convinced me like this. Okay, let's say I don't remember which it was, but let's say it was saying Ford was better. All right. I mean, it was cut and dried. If I was going to buy a truck this, this year, this model year, I would for sure get the Ford because they said the article says the Ford has this and this and this and this and this that are all really great positives. It doesn't have these negatives. Chevy doesn't have as many positives and Chevy has a couple of negatives that'll really make you wish you'd bought the Ford. All right. So yeah, it was cut and dried. But the amazing thing to me is that the Chevy people still would not agree. They would go to some conspiracy theory argument in order to try to prove their point that in, in spite of the hard facts of the people who had tested this engine versus that engine, this exhaust versus that exhaust, this steering versus that steering, okay? They're, they're, they're just saying, well, they're just wrong. Or there's this conspiracy against Chevy. Or, you know, basically, and we all knew it except them, basically, they just couldn't say they were wrong. They could not say, I'm wrong. They were too invested. That had Chevy had become part, literally, of their identity. And you got to be really careful what you let become part of your identity. 
okay? Because what they found in belief perseverance is if someone has a fairly strongly held belief and you present them with concrete, incontrovertible proof and facts that their belief is wrong, what do you think happens? I'll tell you. They keep, they believe, they will now believe their wrong belief more than they did before you showed them the facts proving that the belief is wrong. They'll believe it more than they did before. It, it's, it's nonsensical. It's unbelievable until you realize that unconsciously they're feeling like, wait a minute, if, if I give up Chevy, if I, if I start saying Chevy is not the best, I'm a Chevy man. So, so, so what are the implications for me as a person? If I've been wrong all this time, they just can't do it. They can't go there. So they, they either consciously or unconsciously either lie or they unconsciously go crazy and start saying all these things that everyone knows are not true simply because they don't know what else to do. They don't feel like they can let Chevy go. It's too much a part of them. All right, next slide. Okay, your experience simulator is right here, all right? Right behind your forehead is what's called your prefrontal cortex, all right? And your prefrontal cortex is how you try it before you buy it. It's called your experience simulator. It's how when you're thinking about doing something, you uh, maybe over a course of a minute or two, or maybe a course of a nanosecond, you go, you imagine doing it and how it will turn out. And that helps you decide whether to actually do it. Okay. The problem is your experience simulator lies all the time. Why does it lie? Because 50% of what you believe about your life isn't true. And you're leaning 80% to the negative. That's why. Okay, so you're malfunctioning and your experience simulator is malfunctioning a lot of the time. Let me give you an example of the experience simulator. Let's say that my wife, Hope, is having a, uh, a cooking club girls meeting with her cooking club group that they've been meeting for 30 years, kind of a supper club with some girlfriends of hers, really wonderful. Uh, but once a month or so, they go do something. So let's say she's out there uh, having fun with her girlfriend. So I've got the evening at home by myself. And let's say there's a great game coming on that I want to see. So um, I use my experience simulator and I think, oh, okay, so what am I going to do tonight? Ah, that game is coming on. All right. So, and I start thinking, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have my favorite pizza to eat while I'm watching the game? And what time is it? Do I have time to do that? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I can just about time it perfect where I get the pizza cooked and I'm just ready to eat it right when the game is starting. And, and so I'm excited. And so I go run down, get in my car. Oh man, my car won't start. Get angry, okay? Uh, or irritated or frustrated, okay? Because I've got this thing all timed out, all right? And I, I know it's going to work and I need it to work, okay? My car won't start. So 
<sighs> but I run and grab a, a, a charger booster. Uh, I'm hurrying so I don't mess up my timeline so that I'm starting to eat my pizza right when the game starts. So I do the charger as fast as I can, end up doing it too fast and cutting my finger and getting dirty and, you know, dropping stuff and because I'm trying to hurry too fast. Anyway, I get the car started out the driveway. And what is the deal? There is unbelievable traffic at a time when they're not, there shouldn't be much traffic at all. Uh, anger, irritation, frustration. And then uh, get closer to the store, starts pouring down rain. And I don't have a raincoat. I don't have a, a hat. I don't have an umbrella. Uh, okay. Uh, park. I can't find a close parking place. Uh, I start running in and I step in a huge puddle and it gets me drenched all over. Uh, they don't have my pizza. Uh, the line to check out is long. I mean, you get the idea, right? Everything goes wrong. It doesn't have to be everything goes wrong. It could be one or two things go, go wrong. Okay. But anyway, by the time I get back, my stress is through the roof. I do not enjoy the game now. The pizza does not taste good because I'm stressed out of my mind and angry and, you know, all this sort of thing, dirty, cut, bleeding, um, et cetera. And I know that's a little bit dramatic, so you can lower that down a lot if you want to. But anyway, I'm stressed out, okay? Well, guess what? None of that needed to happen. What was my mistake? My mistake was believing that my experience simulator was telling me the truth, that all that stuff was going to happen without a glitch. I had absolutely no facts or evidence at all telling me that none of that stuff would occur and I could go do that on my tight timeline and get, I mean, I decided that I thought the timing was right, but there's no way I could have known about this other stuff. And you know what? There's always other stuff. There's always other stuff. So we've got to get our experience simulator to quit malfunctioning and start working correctly. Well, how do we do that? We go from 80% leaning to the negative to 80% to the positive, and we heal those 50% of lies that we're believing about our life. And when and if you do that, your experience simulator starts working correctly. And now it can be this huge benefit to your life because given a set of facts and circumstances, you can close your eyes, image that, and come pretty doggone close to what's really gonna happen or what might, re or what might really happen, giving up the end result that, yeah, anything and everything could possibly happen. So I'm not expecting everything to go right. I'm not expecting anything. I'm just expecting to do the best I can and it'll happen as it happens. It'll be raining or it won't. They'll have my pizza or they won't. I'll be, uh, I'll have it ready to eat when the game starts or I won't. But those aren't, you know, none of those are, are life-changing problems, okay? But my experience simulator malfunctioning all over the place and me becoming angry and frustrated and 
stress and 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 by the way we used to experience simulator without even knowing it probably 20 30 times a day so if you're thinking wait a minute how many times do i close my eyes imagine no 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 that's not what we're talking about now you can do it that way but for most people this all happens unconsciously like that all right and you're just kind of giving the final answer yeah it'll work go when it there's no way that you know it'll work okay so basically the experience simulator is giving up expectation and healing the 80 percent negative and the 50 percent wrong beliefs about who you are okay um what's the big deal about giving up expectation dr dan gilbert at harvard wrote a wonderful best-selling book called stumbling into happiness based on research they did on the campus of harvard you see Dr. Gilbert on TV a lot now, uh, TV commercials and interviews and all kinds of things. What they found on the campus at Harvard is that the moment you have an expectation of something in the future that you're not completely in control of, it spikes your stress. For how long? For as long as you have that goal that never should have been a goal. The goal should always be in the present in love. You can have a desire about the future and a hope, but when you turn it into a goal, you've taken ownership of it. And now if it doesn't happen, you have that max stress thing, okay? So we've got to heal your experience simulator. And when we do, you're going to have a great benefit to your life that maybe you haven't had from now on. Next slide, please. Okay, availability bias. Um, this was uh, from Social Psychology, uh, a psychological journal, November 8, 2016. The name of the article was Holding On to Discredited Beliefs. This one is sort of similar to uh, one of the other ones we've already talked about, but a little bit different. Uh, the example I'd give you for this one is let's say that you're watching the news and the news says that um, someone's house has just been robbed in the city next to you that's like 30 miles away something like that okay someone's house has been robbed in the city and they're reporting it and look out for the guy and blah blah blah, blah all right and let's say that when you see that now everyone would not react this way but a certain percentage of people including my wife is one of them would react this way. So let's say you're watching that and all of a sudden you start getting a little worried and then a little more worried. And then you think about it a little more and you imagine them breaking into your house and you imagine them maybe stealing something and being confronted with, you know, some big, strong, mean intruder that, that, that may have a weapon that may want to hurt you if they, if you try to keep them from taking things that may hurt your children, that may uh, kick your dog, I don't know, whatever. Um, but you start getting more and more worried and all of a sudden you're, you're, you've got anxiety uh, about this robbery that happened 30 miles away in a different city. That is availability bias. The odds of that same person robbing your house are less than being struck by lightning. 
Now, how much do you worry about being struck by lightning? And I apologize to the very small percentage of you that do have the fear of being struck by lightning. I'm, I, I'm sorry, and I think we can help you with that. But most people aren't afraid of that. Well, the odds of that are greater than the odds of this or almost anything else that you would wrongly believe from availability bias. So we have to make sure, and, and the thing about availability bias is that you're taking facts out of context. The other one we talked about was you are just disregarding facts. That's not this one. This one, the facts are true, but you're taking it out of context. Yeah, if you live next door to where that happened or two streets over, or maybe even in the same city, there'd be little more justification for that anxiety. But the city over, um, no, probably not. That is probably uh, an emotional problem that you have. And that is, that is evidence of it, okay? So how do you fix availability bias? 80% negative to 80% positive and heal the 50% of wrong beliefs you hold about your current life. Lower your stress load and it will heal. It's a software program we all have. And, and the opposite of it is to put things in context. And so we see the news thing, but and maybe we start to feel a little anxious, but then we catch ourselves and say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Thoughts of being struck by lightning are better than that. No reason to get feel anxiety over that. Now, if they if the news says they're coming this way and I keep watching and now all of a sudden they're a mile away, they've been seen a mile away. Okay, yeah, maybe then, yeah, you start looking out, but um, not just from a house was robbed two streets over, but what people stress about all the time is very similar to a house 30 miles away. What most people have availability bias about is something that the average person would tell you, no, you should not be worried about that. You're taking it out of context. But the person can't, that's doing it, they can't help it because availability bias in them is broken and they're not able to get context. Heal it and you get the context back and the anxiety and worry go down. Next slide, please. Okay. Uh, most people have heard of brain states, maybe. They've maybe heard of delta uh, brain waves or theta brain waves or alpha brain waves, whatever. Uh, most people have heard of gamma rays. That can be a different thing. Uh, we're talking about the ones in your brain and body. Um, but this is fascinating to me. You have uh, five brain states, delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. And you can be in more than one brain state at a time, but one will typically be dominant at any given time, okay? Beta is the primary stress brain state, okay? Um, the first few years of life, first six or eight years of life, we live like 24-7 in delta-theta brainwave state. The first six or eight years of life, let me repeat it, we, you, live in delta, theta, brainwave state. First six to eight years of life. Everybody does. But then you come out of it at, the, at about that age and you never live there again. 
only those early years. Okay. So, what if a trauma or something negative happens in those first six or eight years of life when you're in delta theta brainwave state? I'll tell you, it goes to hard drive programming for the rest of your life. That is very difficult to change. In fact, your mind protects it from being changed. Let me give you an example. I had a, a client, a lady, she called me from Manhattan, um, told me her name, and uh, she was referred by a friend of hers. And she said, Dr. Lloyd, uh, I don't know if you can help me or not. I don't have a health issue. My, health, my issue is success and failure. She said, um, uh, I work on Wall Street. She graduated at the top of her class from an Ivy League school went to graduate school in the Ivy League, finished at the top of her class in the graduate school. And uh, she said, I have 180 IQ verified and articles have literally been written in um, trade journals about how I would be the next mover and shaker on Wall Street and in world financial markets. And she said, uh, and that's true. She said, my mind just works that way. She said, things that take other investment people two or three days to figure out, I'll just know it in, you know, 30 minutes or less. Uh, I, I've just always had that. That's just my area of gifting. But she said, I've never become real successful. Every time I'm about to get a breakthrough, I seem to do something that sabotages my own success. And she said, I've been doing it for years and I can't get out of it. She said, I, I've tried counseling, therapy, medication, corporate training programs, nothing helps. Can you help? All right. So um, I gave her the healing code for that. And it healed, I believe in about three weeks completely, but that's not the story. The story, is the memory that, in her words, had ruined her life, okay? Her words. And here it is. When she was about five years old on a hot summer day in the United States, at lunchtime, her mother gave her sister a popsicle, but would not give my client, who was five years old, a popsicle. And my client, as best they could remember, the mother said to my client when they were five years old, honey, your sister's already had a good lunch. When you have a good lunch, you can have a popsicle too. And as best my client could remember, that was about the way, the tone of voice and body language that her mother said that with. You know, 80% of communication is nonverbal, all right? That was the memory that, in my client's words, had ruined her life. I have a question about that memory. Who did something wrong in that memory? My client? The mom? The sister? Who did something wrong? The answer? No one. No one did anything wrong. 
How could that have ruined her life? How is that even possible? Her mom was kind to her in her tone of voice. Her explanation was reasonable, something any parent might very well say. And I have said a number of times to my kids when they were growing up, how could that be? It could be one way. If she was in Delta Theta brainwave state when it happened, and she was because she was five years old. So why would that do that in her? I'll tell you. If you're in Delta Theta brainwave state, you do not have the ability to filter the circumstances that are happening in your life. You don't have the ability to logic and reason them in a good enough way like you will be able to when you're an adult. To, to absolutely cause them to make sense all the time. You, that, that ability is not completely formed. It's not formed enough for you to be able to do that. So it goes to hard drive programming and that memory is literally protected by your unconscious mind from being changed because it's a trauma memory. And trauma memories serve as an early warning defense system that could save your life in the event of an emergency, okay? So you may have a trauma, and I believe we can help you with that, but my guess is there's no one who will ever listen to this that doesn't have what I call popsicle memories, like my client, and probably a bucket full of them. Well, why is that important? Well, there's a couple of reasons. For one, any psychologist I know would look at those memories and say, there's no problem there. No, that your mom not giving you a popsicle, but saying, honey, your sister's already had a good lunch. When you have a good lunch, you can have a popsicle too with a positive tone and a smile and positive body language. No, that's not the problem. When it absolutely was the problem, okay? So to heal popsicle memories, you have to have a process that will find them and fix them automatically. And this process does, okay? So you can heal those and you can start living in a positive brain state positive life without the stress of your popsicle memories that are unconsciously filling up your stress without you even knowing it. And you wondering, how come I'm not okay? How come I'm stressed? Well, this, this may be one of the reasons. Next slide, please. Um, this was in um, a special edition of the National Geographic. 2016. It was called What Experts Wish You Knew About False Memories. That was the name of the article from Scientific American. The special issue of National Geographic was called The Owner's Manual for the Brain. And here's what they found. And this is unbelievable. Approximately one second before you make any significant decision, there'll be an electrical spike in your brain. Okay? Every time. 
for years, they tracked that to find out what the spike was, okay? And then they finally found it. And that was the reason for the special edition of National Geographic, the Scientific American uh, uh, article and everything, okay? But here's what you need to know before I tell you the results of the study. After the study was complete and they found uh, uh, the conclusive uh, truth of this situation about your free will, the researchers had meetings, serious meetings, where they discussed among themselves burying this research and not ever letting it see the light of day, not ever letting anyone in the world know it exists. Now, why in the world would they do that? If you know anything about scientific researchers, they would never do that. I mean, getting their work published is, is a promotion. It means more money, more fame, more highly thought of, more prestigious, uh, higher in their field, you know, all that sort of thing, everything that they want. I mean, they would never dream of, of burying a, a significant study that had a breakthrough result. And this one did have a breakthrough result. The reason they thought they might should bury it is they were concerned that if people read this study, this, the suicide rate would spike. And I, I'm being serious. They thought people would become hopeless and believe that they really don't have much control over their life and they're more like a puppet on a string and give up or, or even stop trying, say, what's the use, all right? Now, why would this have such a huge impact on them? What did they find? What they found is that that electrical spike one second before a significant decision is your unconscious mind mandating what your decision will be. And it mandates it with such strength and such conclusiveness and such power that it is almost impossible with your conscious willpower or intention for you to go against it. So you almost never do go against it. You go with it because it's so strong, all right? Which means you decided to buy that car not because you rationally thought about gas mileage and, or, or electric versus gas or the size of it or the color or the extras or, or whatever. No, that's not why you bought it. That's why you think you bought it. You bought it because your unconscious mind mandated you to buy it and mandated that color and mandated the leather or velour seats, mandated the electric or gas. And, and based on what? Based on you leaning 80% to the negative and 50% of what you believe about your life is not true. So do you think there's the potential there for the wrong decision? you better believe it. And that's why they thought they talked about burying it. You can, but you can absolutely heal the thing that's causing the mandate of the wrong decisions 
and start choosing the right decisions without the resistance and pushing against you in order to be able to do that. Okay, next uh, slide, please. And this one is the most important. And the last one, relationships. Every issue at its root somewhere is a relationship issue. Let me say that one more time. Every issue is a relationship issue. So Alex, are you saying cancer is a relationship issue? Yes, I am. Are you saying diabetes is a relation? Come on. Yes, I am. Depression, anxiety, um, uh, marriage conflict, parenting, work, uh, your job and work. Yes, all of the above. Every issue, every problem is a relationship issue, a relationship problem. Okay, the thing that controls your brain and nervous system, basically, is your hypothalamus. If your hypothalamus receives a fear-based signal, not from externally, from internally, from your memories, your unconscious, subconscious, ancestry, if the hypothalamus in your brain receives a fear-based signal, and fear-based basically means any negative emotion, anger, irritation, frustration, resentment, bitterness, overwhelmed, sad, hopeless, helpless, anxiety, fear, um, um, rejection, identity, worth, inferiority, superiority. I mean, all of it, all of it. Any problem you can ever have, at its root, there's a relationship problem. If you fix the relationship issue, the problem always gets better and very often heals completely. Okay, so how in the heck do you do that with relationships and, and all this stuff? Okay, oh, oh, by the way, the two others. I, I said if your hypothalamus receives a fear-based signal, if it receives a neutral signal, it just keeps you in neutral, all right? Not positive, not negative, but imbalance, homeostasis, you know? Um, if it receives a love-based signal, which is vir virtually anything positive, happy, joyful, at peace, uh, patient, kind, you know, those sort of things. If it receives a positive love-based signal, it switches you into success mode and it releases oxytocin, endorphins, peptides, all those hormones that make you feel like Superman. And like you can, you could go weeks without sleep. You know, that the kind of that first in love feeling when you feel like you're walking on air and you know the world is beautiful. Okay. Um, if your hypothalamus receives the positive love-based signal, that's what it does. For the negative, of course, it releases cortisol, adrenaline, uh, uh, dopamine. Uh dopamine's basically uh kind of like internal cocaine, highly addictive. So fear-based actions cause the release of dopamine, which makes them more and more addictive the more and more you do it. 
But the more you do it, the less dopamine gets released. So it's an addiction. You have to do it more and more to get the same dopamine hit. And that's with any of those 80% negative memories or 50% of the wrong beliefs about yourself. Okay. So what do you have to do? You have to find, you have to find the relationship issue. Okay. So the issue in the, in the brain is love or fear, right? If it gets fear, adrenaline, uh, cortisol, if it gets love, success, oxytocin, endorphins, peptides, et cetera. All right. Um, so how does that work? All right. Here's how it works. Your mem we used to think that if you had an, an anger memory or a low self-worth memory or a rejection memory or whatever, a trauma memory, that unless you were thinking about it, it would not cause any problems. Now, we've always known if you think about it, you're going to feel worse physically and non-physically. If you don't believe that, try it sometime, okay? Uh, get someplace quiet and comfortable, close your eyes and think about the worst memory of your life and try to really relive it again. And the longer you do that, the worse you're going to feel. Try it. It doesn't take long. Uh, most people start to feel it in like 60 seconds or more or, or, or less, you know? All right. Then do the same thing. Think about the happiest memory of your life. Chances are you can't Think about it without smiling spontaneously, okay? All right? So those things are very, very powerful. We, we already know that, all right? So if you have that anger memory inside you, that not just when you're looking at it, but 24-7 is sending that anger signal, it's being received in the hypothalamus as a fear signal because it comes out of a root of fear, then until you address and heal that relationship issue, your brain is not going to shift you out of emergency trauma mode. It's not. It's still getting the anger signal. Okay? So the way you fix that is you, you just think, okay, relationships. Um, do I have any relationship? I feel like I have an anger thing sometimes. Uh, and, and I don't have an anger thing now, but earlier in my life, Alex, I had a big anger thing, okay? So let, I'm just hypothetically using that. Let's say I'm back then when I had that anger problem. Okay, I've got an anger issue. So when I think about anger, is there any relationship that comes to mind? And if there is, and, and there will be, use the healing code or... The memory code, that was the book that uh, they put up before this lecture, one's a six-minute process, one's a 10-minute process. They come at the same problem, but from a different angle. Use that to pull the anger out of that relationship memory that has anger in it. When you thought, okay, do I have any relationship? That I would, oh, yeah, yeah, that one had anger in it. Uh, even if you don't feel it now, if it had anger then, I would still address that and do the process on it just in case, okay? So whatever your negative issue is, that, that was anger. 
my wife's was depression. So that's sadness, helplessness, helplessness. So when I think of sadness, helplessness, helplessness, when hope was still depressed, did she have any relationships that there was a sadness, hopelessness, helplessness ingredient? And yes, she absolutely did. And she had to heal that to heal her depression. And that's the first thing we did with the process I discovered. And her depression was gone in 45 minutes. Okay. When in 12 years, nothing had touched it. Now it came back. I don't want to mislead anybody. When she had done the process for three weeks, it was gone and has never come back. And that's uh, been 13 years now. No, no, no. It's been 20, 22 years now. 22 years now. Okay. So whatever's bothering you in your life, anger, sadness, uh, finances, work, um, a particular relationship, uh, your left knee is having pain, whatever it is, ask yourself the question, can I think of a relationship that had this emotion in it? Like, uh, like for the knee pain, you, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, that, that's pain, not anger or sadness. or Right, right. So when you think of the your left knee pain as an example, What's your number one negative emotion related to that? Let's say it's frustration. All right, what relationship had frustration in it? And then do the process on that till it's no longer bothering you. Then ask yourself, okay, do I have another frustration memory that's still bothering me? If you do, do the process on that now until it's no longer bothering you. Do I have another relationship memory? Do I have another uh, anger memory or... Yeah, relationship memory related to anger. Um, find another one until you can't find any more. Then use the process on the current issue that is not relational, maybe, whatever it is. But, but before you do that, make sure you've gone back and at least uh, neutralized the negative relationship memories you could remember that had that emotion, stress, or pain in them. Okay, so if you do, again, everything else right, the right diet, exercise, nutrition, you name it, but you've got unresolved relationship issues that have anger, unforgiveness, um, self-worth, rejection, anxiety in them, I'll just promise you, until that relationship memory issue inside of you is resolved, you will not be able to achieve the life you want. Now, he, heal all seven of these, and you can do that with the same healing process for all seven and, and get the 80% positive, and heal the 50% of wrong beliefs you have about your life, then you can get to your best possible life. And, 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 and I'm not saying quit doing the nutrition, exercise, all that. I do all that too. Yeah, all that's necessary. It's just that what I'm talking about today, these tend to be the hidden things that people don't know are keeping them from their life. They know about the exercise and diet and stuff like and nutrition and stuff like that. Very few people I've encountered know about these. 
And even if they did, how do you fix them? That's that's what we do. So, um, John, I think that's it for me. If we want to, if we have any questions or anything, I'm uh, happy to do my best to try and answer. Thank you very much for that, that the very informative presentation. So. Uh, we do have some questions, uh, and um, I, first, I just want to go over how the Q&A process uh, begins so everyone understands it. So um, we don't take questions. This is for the audience. So we don't take questions directly from the chat. Instead, we ask everyone to virtually raise their hand. If you're not sure how to do this, what you need to do is click on the reactions button, second from the right on the bottom of your Zoom window, then click on the raise hand function in the menu that pops up. When I call in your name, I will unmute you and prompt you to state where you're from and to ask your question. We ask that everyone keep their questions brief and on topic. So um, let's see here. I see Bin Wu has had his hand up for a while. So Bin Wu, please state where you're from and ask your question. Yeah, hello, good morning. I come from the Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland. My question is, um, um, and um, the cells, brain cells has memory. Uh, how can we uh, training our brain to uh, into the positive, just to forget the bad memory, then to have the um, you know the good life, success life? How to treat all? John, I'm a little bit hard of hearing. Um, she said. How do we clear the memories? Is, was that her basic the, 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 how, to, how to change the bad memory into the good memory? Yes, um, that's what those processes do. That's what the healing codes do and the book that they put up before this session, the memory code. The memory code is a six-step process that takes 10 minutes, and you can change any memory in about 10 minutes. The healing codes is, is a different process. That's the first one I discovered. Uh, you can find both of those on my website. You can find um, uh, if if you want to do a uh, kind of a sample healing code, I'll show you really quick. And, and John, you you left out one instruction, which is uh, that I should be on point and brief. <laughs> uh, no, no, you you we're, we're here to learn problem, from you. So which please. I have problems with. Uh, but uh, here's a here's a little sample you can do. Okay, pretend like your fingertips are little flashlights and go here first, right where your eyebrows would grow, go, grow together if they grew together. So 30 seconds, all fit 10 fingertips, 30 seconds, then the Adam's apple, 30 seconds, then the back bottom corner of the jawbone, about the size of a silver dollar right there, 30 seconds and then the temple 30 seconds and do that three times. So that's two minutes to do one round, do three rounds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Okay, that's a sample code. And so try that, uh, write your issue before you do it, zero to 10, then do it, then rewrite your issue and see if anything's changed. It usually comes down. Sometimes it goes up before it comes down, then it comes down, but usually it goes down. And then if that's not enough, do another one. So that's a code you can do to sort of get the feel of how this works. And it, it really works great. Oh, by the way, 
We have 19 double-blind studies done at uh, major universities published in peer-reviewed journals saying these processes work on 46 life issues from cancer to um, diabetes, high blood pressure, depression, anxiety, relationship, uh, gender issues, body image. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. 19 double-blind studies. Uh, in America, we call that proof. So we have proof that this does what I'm saying today. All right, go ahead, John. Okay, uh, actually, it's Michael. Um, oh, that's oh, okay. John. John. No, John was the other one. I'm sorry. You, you got it. You got it. No John worries. Was the guy who had all the weight, uh, the weightlifting equipment in there. Yeah, that's John. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no, no problem whatsoever. So the next question is coming from Gosha. Gosha, please state where you're from and ask your question. Uh, hi, good morning. Uh, my name is Gosia. Originally, I am from Poland, um, but I live uh, in Ontario. Uh, first of all, I wanted to mention that um, I loved your presentation. Um, it resonated. It resonated with me. I love subconscious and energy work. Um, my question is: uh, uh, You mentioned about pain in specific um, uh, body parts uh, are there any emotions specific emotions linked to specific body parts and is that important thank you ah no good question uh yes yes they are and there's several different systems um in acupuncture theory and practice um different emotions are linked to different organs and body systems um, there's a thing called the German New Medicine that was done years ago by a medical doctor named Reiki Hamer, who was working with last stage cancer patients. Um, and he, he, uh, over 6, 000, he, he dealt with 6,500 last stage cancer patients and over 6,000 of them survived after they were sent home to die. And he did a correlation of organs and things to emotions based on doing CT scans of the brain. And that's a really great correlation. And then I have a correlation as well in my 12 category healing code system. And there's, there's a lot of overlap and similarities. Um, but yeah, there are several different systems and I would look at all of them and see which one resonates with you. And if you have, for instance, let's say uh, a health issue and one of them says it's this organ, one of them says it's this organ, one of them says it's this organ, work on all three. Great, thank you for that. So in, in order to be healthy, do we do we need to get rid of all of our negative thoughts and, and beliefs and do we need to be super no. vigilant? No, because uh, what, what we need to do is stay in balance. But, but balance to me is not 50% negative, 50% positive, it's 80% positive, 20% negative. And what the research is saying we are now is 80% negative, 20% positive. So we need to flip that. We need to, because uh, if we're 80% positive, then those negative thoughts are not controlling us. They're only helping us balance and not go too far off in just one direction without making sure to maintain homeostasis and balance. So uh, now we for sure want to get rid of all the ones that aren't true. And there's a whole bunch of those. That's the 50% of what we believe isn't even true. 
we for sure want to correct those. But no, negative but truthful. No, no, you don't get rid of that. You keep it and factor it in. So as a follow-up, can being too healthy be un can be I'm sorry, can being too positive be unhealthy as well? Yeah. If you don't if you don't consider the negative, if you don't consider the alternatives, um, yes, that can be negative. You need to it when when that uh, experience simulator is working correctly, you're considering the negative and the positive. I may go out to get my pizza and my car may start. It may not start. There may be traffic. There may not be traffic. It may rain. It may not rain. Okay. I, I, I'm just open to whatever happens and I'm going to do my best to flow with it in balance, whatever happens, rather than getting all stressed out. Well, that's living in the present moment in love rather than living either in the past or the future. And, and the only place you can live with happiness is the present. Thank you. And how powerful is the mind in healing disease? Does it really, does it really help or, or do people just say that? The power of your mind is unbelievable. Um, in fact, um, this was, this was uh, I think, about a year ago. Uh, a new study came out, uh, published in peer-reviewed journal, and uh, some of you, this is going to blow your mind. And um, and to me, I absolutely believe in miracles. I do, big time. Okay, I think they happen every day. All right, you want to know one way? The latest research study I've seen about a year ago said that their previous estimates about the power of your mind and brain have been grossly underestimated. The new estimate based on new facts and research is that the power and potential of your brain and mind is over one quadrillion bits. What in the heck is a quadrillion? One quadrillion bits basically is the capacity and power of the entire internet. And each one of you have that in your brain and mind. You have the power and capacity of the entire internet in your brain and mind. It is enormously powerful. Thank you. And, and um, so how, how do we harness that the quadrillion bits in order to uh, to have a healthier life? Well, the first thing you got to do is get the junk out. You know, um, um, let, let's say um, uh, you had a friend who you were having lunch with or something and they said, and you're just small talking. And they said, um, hey, I found a new great way to save time. And, and uh, and to get rid of a chore that kind of irritated me. And you say, oh, cool, what is it? Well, instead of taking the garbage out to the garbage cans outside and stuff, I found out that if I just like double bag it in a, in a plastic garbage bag and seal, and, you know, seal the top, tie it up and everything, I can just throw it in the basement. I don't even have to walk down there. I can just open the door, throw it in, and that's it. And it works great. I, it saves me time. I don't have to go out when it's cold or raining or whatever. 
And um, and so at, at the end of the lunch, now I, I grant you probably wouldn't be this gullible, but let's pretend you were. So you go home and you're thinking, man, that's a great idea. I'm going to start doing that. Well, guess what? In six months, you've got roaches in your bed and everywhere else. Okay. And so in six months, you, you, you know, realize what you got to do. You put on the rubber gloves and the boots and the mask, not for COVID this time, for the smell. And you go down there and you start cleaning up six months of garbage. All right. That's what we're doing. We're cleaning up your garbage. We're cleaning up the beliefs you have that are in error about yourself and your circumstances and shifting you to the positive and shifting your brain and hypothalamus to fear mode, to, to failure mode, to cortisol and stress mode, okay, where 95% of illness and disease come from. If you get rid of those, of those untruths, of those stressors, and your stress barrel comes down, the CDC and, and Stanford University too, they said 95% as well. What would they say if you got rid of the stress? Does your chance of illness or disease go down any? <laughs> of course, that's what causes it. You get rid of the cause, you get rid of the disease, okay? So what we're really doing, we're getting rid of illness and disease, either now or in the future in your life. That's what we're doing. And, and, these, and, and so what these techniques do, and I can't say I know how they do them, but a lot of people don't know this either. Uh, in the physician's desk reference, every medical doctor's Bible that's about this thick, you know, and it has all the medications, all the symptoms, all the surgeries, you know, stuff like that. About 40%, according to Dr. Ben Johnson, about 40% of every medication in the world that's in the PDA says mechanism of action unknown. Meaning we can prove what it does, but we don't know or we're not sure how it does it. It's exactly the same with the healing codes and the memory code. We can prove what it does with heart rate variability medical tests and we have done that. The 19 double blind studies prove that that's called proof, all right? So what we're doing is we're removing the thing that's filling you up with stress, which means the stress will go down, which means your present or future illnesses and diseases will either not happen or they'll heal. Thank you. Um, how do we stop worrying about money, relationships, the future, anything? Um, that, that keeps us in a state of worry? I'm not sure you can with um, just meditation. I'm all for meditation. I meditate every day, have for years, but I'm not sure you can just with meditation and stuff like that because of what I said before, these memories that are causing the stress are literally protected by your unconscious mind. They are guarded from being healed or changed because they are connected to your survival instinct and they serve as an early warning defense system against a life-threatening emergency. Now, a lot of that is in error, but it is still held that way in your unconscious in error. 
That's why we've got to get it from error to correct. And when you do that, the stress goes down. Thank you. Of all of your techniques, uh, which should someone start with uh, in order to have the most progress possible in the, in the best amount of time? I think it depends um, a lot. Some of it is personality. Um, if you're more left brain oriented, and I know I'm reversed on the camera, so this looks right to you guys, but it's left to me. If, if you're more left brain, uh, the healing codes tend to work really well for people who are kind of linear in their thinking and personality. One plus one equals two, whatever. Uh, I like to go by the rules. You know, what are the rules? Give me the instructions. You know, if you're more right brain, go with the flow, a little more mellow, uh, a little more out of the box. Uh, those people tend to like the memory code a lot. It, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's coming at the problem in a way that they enjoy doing, okay? And the healing codes is typically kind of that way for more left brain people. So, but, but the healing codes is always a good place to start. It was the original. Um, a lot of the 19 studies uh, are on it and, and the benefits of it. Uh, there have not been double blind studies on the memory code. I want to be clear about that. Those are on the healing code and trilogy. Uh, but I did test the memory code with heart rate variability and stuff. So that's basically what, how I would answer. But you can really start with either one. Okay. And are, are, speaking about the, the, the techniques, are the techniques, you know, for the healing code, are they, are they all very similar? Are they all sort of yeah. uh, permutations of, of touching yourself yeah. in certain places? Yeah. In the back of the, in the back of the manual, it comes with like a 250 page manual, a bunch of videos, a bunch of audios, stuff like that. Um, in the back of the manual, there's an index in alphabetical order with 485 possible problem issues. You go find your issue. There'll be a page number beside that. You go to the page number and it will have the specific sequence to heal the source of that issue. You do it until it gets better. Then you go back to the back, find the one that's now bothering you the most. Do it till it gets better and just keep doing that. Thank you. And and the memory code, is that the same kind of? Oh, the memory code is um, you, you start with what's bothering you. And then it's a six step process based on how you're feeling right now and what is bothering you. And it, it, it's very simple. You could teach a 10 year old in about 10 minutes how to do the memory code. Um, but no, it is not, you know, a... It, it doesn't have anything to do with this. It's a totally different process coming from a different angle. Great, thank you. And what are your thoughts on prayer? Does, does prayer work in, in um, helping people, either the person doing the prayer or, or the other person receiving it? Yeah. Prayer is one of the most important things in my life. I believe in it with all my heart. I believe in God. I believe in prayer. Uh, Larry Dossey, MD, and his wonderful book, Reinventing Medicine, cites a number of double-blind studies done on prayer uh, that had absolutely mind-boggling results. People laying in hospitals, and they don't know, they don't even know they're being prayed for. And all the ones being prayed for get better. All the ones not being prayed for don't or get worse. I mean, it's it's such a dramatic difference. It's almost hard to believe it's real. 
but it is and replicated. So yes, I believe in, I, I, I would say if you believe in the spiritual, if you believe there's a spiritual dimension, a spiritual reality, and, and about 98% of people do based on surveys, you should believe in prayer. Prayer is the activation of the spiritual. Thank you. So how do you get rid of deep-seated guilt? Yeah, you could, you, could, um, you could just put a blank there. How do you get rid of, and it's all the same. You, just, you do the process for that thing. It's in the manual that took us years to develop. Um, that's what you do. Uh, if you're doing the memory code, you do the six-step, 10-minute memory code process on guilt, okay? Um, and, but I will say guilt and shame are the two biggest issues I've dealt with in with, with over 30 years. They're, they're the top two. Now, well, pain is the biggest issue, but but guilt is pain. Shame is pain. Um, but as far as emotional issues, guilt and shame are at the top of the list. Thank you. Can you can you explain about uh, memory engineering? I believe you I believe you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know what you want me to explain. Um, it's a book. It's a home study program. Uh, you can get it's six steps. You start with uh, a problem and you start with your current memory related to that problem. And then you do six steps that change your current memory. That's okay. it. And, and what would we see in, in a change of memory? Let's say um, you had a traumatic memory that um, I get maybe we kind of uh, persevered and, and, and you couldn't get out of your head. Um, what, you know, or, or, you know, memories that perhaps created a narrative that made you feel uh, uh, negative emotions about yourself. Um, what would that change look like? Would it just be like gone or would it create, would it be replaced with a new, with a new story or, or narrative or a new memory? Yeah. Basically all it does is pull the untruth out. In uh, every memory that causes a problem, there's a lie or falsehood in every one of them. And it's typically the interpretation, not the event itself. In other words, because my dad hit me when I was 12 years old, and while he was hitting me, said, Alex, you're never going to amount to anything. You think that caused any problems in my life after that? Oh, man, it ruled the next 15 years of my life. Happened when I was like 10, 12 years old. It really happened. He started hitting me over and over, not with his fist, with his open hand, but hitting me over and over for about probably a minute, minute and a half, seemed like a year. And while he was doing it, he was yelling at me, Alex, you're never going to amount to anything. Alex, you're never going to amount to anything. All right. Well, the problem with that memory was not him hitting me. The problem in the memory was not him saying I would never amount to anything. Were those problems? Yeah, but they weren't the big problem. The big problem is that I believed it. Okay. That my interpretation was because dad said that, and dad was my hero at the time and was never wrong, 
because dad said that, I'm never going to amount to anything. Well, years later, when I had the tools and was able to heal that, the way it was changed is I now had compassion for my dad because I knew the reason he did that, he had just found out he was going to have open, have to have open heart surgery back in the early days of open heart surgery when you were never the same again. And he was in horrible fear and anger and, and my life as I know it is over. And I just happened to be there when he snapped. Okay. So after it healed, that's what I believe. Yeah. He hit me. Yeah. He said that, but it had nothing to do with me. It was about the pain he was going through. And I felt compassion and love for him and forgiveness and, and, and all of that. And then I felt released from that event that I'd felt kind of uh, enslaved to uh, all that time before that, okay? And like the popsicle lady I told you about in New York, the thing that changed for her, the one, one, well, the biggest thing by far it, after she healed uh, she did go through the roof, by the way, on Wall Street, got the promotion, became the mover and shaker, got a huge raise, all of that. But that wasn't the biggest thing. She said the biggest thing is from my childhood, my mom and I had always been in conflict. And I never knew why. She was not mean to me. I never could make sense of it. And that, But then after she realized about that memory and we worked on it and she healed it, she said it all went away and she, her, she and her mom were able to reconcile and became closer than they'd, they'd ever been. And she said that was an unexpected, huge gift to her, that closeness that she'd really never had that she remembered with her mother. And it benefited her year after year after that, became one of the biggest, most important things in her life. So yes, the memory will change. Uh, and it's usually your interpretation of what happened. So you mentioned forgiving your father. Um, is forgiving yourself the same thing? Is the same kind of mechanism or is that a different? Yes, it is. And, and, and I would say typically um, the hardest people we have forgiving is ourselves. for most people, not all. Um, so yes, in every relationship issue, you know, we said every issue is a relationship issue. So start looking through those and finding ones that have anger or unforgiveness or, or whatever. Um, that's indispensable. Every issue is a relationship issue. So find that, find the misinterpretation, use the process, heal it, have your stress come down. And yeah, now, live a happier, healthier life. Great. Thank you. So uh, what about rage? Like, you know, uh, specifically rage toward others who has mistreated us. How, how do, how do we clear that out? Yeah, it, it's still the fill in the blank answer. Um, okay. it, everything, as far as our process, you work on the same way. And, and, and rage usually means that another person has been involved in a actual trauma for you, whether they were they were mean to you or they just happened to be there when a big trauma happened. And so now you associate them with that trauma. 
Um, it's someone that's connected to a trauma in your life. You heal the trauma and you heal the rage. Um, but it's the same process for rage as it would be for anger or knee pain, cancer, anything else. Great. I'm going to have an audience member ask a question. Kaylee, please state where you're from and ask your question. Uh, Kaylee Covington, Syosset, New York. Please, I'm so sorry that I had to miss the first part of your lecture, and I'd really like to know where there's a book or where I, how I can learn what these codes are that of which you spoke, the healing code, the memory code, and whatever else I've missed. I'm so sorry. I really wanted to hear it. And I looked up uh, your name, but I couldn't find anything under your name on Google. So how do I... How can I learn this, please? So Alex, if, if I may, real quickly. Um, uh, firstly, Kaylee, you know, Alex will tell you where to get everything. But also, these recordings are available um, the following day that they were made. So you can actually watch this rec a recorded version of this exact talk from our, our website, therealtruthabouthealth.com. So, um, but uh, but uh, Alex, please um, let her know where she can get uh, her books. Uh, sorry, your books and uh, anything else about you. Yeah, the books are all on Amazon. Our website is dralexanderloy.com, uh, D-R-A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R-L-O-Y-D.com. Just remember on Lloyd, all the two L Lloyds are crooks. So don't go, um, that's a joke. Um, mm. Lloyd is one L, Lloyd is one L. All right, I think Christopher Lloyd seems like a good chap. So- Yes, uh, yes, back to the future. Exactly. So um, how do we know what is a real memory versus a false memory? Well, they're both real. Um, a false memory is still a real memory. It's just that it's not true. Okay. And, and, and a false memory is almost certainly causing stress as opposed to a true memory, which very often won't cause stress or can even go against stress and cause your brain to shift you into success mode and stop and start releasing oxytocin and all the wonderful stuff. Okay. Um, so um, I'm sorry, I forgot the question. The question is uh, real memory versus false memory. How do oh, we know? Yeah. Yeah. They're both real. So I, I wouldn't go on false or real. I would just look for um, negative versus positive. Positive you don't care about. We want to keep those. If you got a negative one, doesn't matter if it's real or positive. Let's pull the falsehood out and and make it healed and not causing a problem anymore. And maybe even participating with success rather than failure. Thank you. So so as far as like um, relate relationship dynamics, um, you know, there's so much in, in our culture about, you know, couples therapy and all this and that. Um, your approach seems to be very different. So how do you suggest that we uh, get along better with our with our partner when we feel like the main issues are you know that are that are affecting your relationship are, are their fault? I, I think it's really simple, uh, simpler than we make it out to be. That doesn't mean it's easy. But the simple thing is start acting toward them in love. and 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 I don't care what they've done to you. On your part, start acting toward them in love. Now, it will benefit them, it will benefit you. You may be saying, but but Alex, you don't know what they've done to me. I don't care what they've done. If you holding unforgiveness toward them 
it may not be hurting them much at all. I guarantee it's hurting you big time. So you need to forgive them for you, all right? For them too, it's the right thing to do, but you need to forgive them for you, all right? So start loving them. So anything you have been doing or doing now that is not love-based, I would say stop or at least reevaluate and say, okay, I want to start behaving toward this person out of out of love and not fear and anger and selfishness and manipulation and passive aggressive and all that stuff. I no matter what they want to do, I want to behave right. I want to behave with integrity, with kindness, um, respecting the other person, even if they disrespect me. Now, that doesn't mean you stay with them. You may need to get away from them if they're hurting you or, or being mean to you. But you still need to forgive them and love them, even if it's from a distance or it will hurt you. So, yes, you need to do a genealogy. Start asking questions about your ancestors. See if you can find common threads that come to you and then see if you can resolve some of those issues from your ancestry that are operating in you today. And that and that absolutely is real. Thank you. And um we we're, we live in a culture where we medicate everything, you know, for for depression for example, people take SSRIs and other types of medication. H how do you suggest that we get rid of depression and um how how does that play in this context of of medications? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not against medications, but I would my my place is use them as a bridge only and and see them as a bridge and when I get to the other side and my depression or anxiety or whatever is better, then I'm going to quit taking them when I no longer take them. And when my clients ask me about that, my answer is the same every time. Prove to your doctor you don't need them. And, and, and we need them to do that because we need, the, we need the mainstream standard medical doctors to start hearing over and over and over and over from people, my depression is better um, I, I don't qualify for depression anymore. I don't qualify for anxiety anymore. And then we need the, the doctor to ask the, the patient, what have you been doing? How did you do that? Going from needing depression meds to not. And then the word will spread, not, not just about my stuff, but about all the stuff. There's alternatives that work for these things. And we need medical doctors and everyone just to know that they're available, okay? So um, I would say use them as a bridge. If you need it, use it. But, the, but then the other side of this is Dr. Irving Kirsch, a medical doctor at Harvard Medical School, uh, did a special edition of 60 Minutes where he stepped out on the stage of 60 Minutes and said, antidepressants don't work. This is a medical doctor from Harvard Medical School saying this. So imagine the weight of this, all right? Antidepressants don't work. Then he started naming all these other health problems. And he said, and the meds for these don't work either. Okay? And at the end of the interview, um, uh, Leslie Stahl, who's interviewing him, said, okay, you've convinced me, but what do we do? Because we got people all over the world struggling from these things. 
You know what his answer was? His answer was, and I fell out, of, I literally fell out of my chair when he said this, we need to start prescribing placebos. A wow. medical doctor at Harvard Medical School, the meds don't work. We need to start substituting placebos. That's our solution. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a heck of a better solution than that. But meds are fine. Use them as a bridge, then stop when you don't need them anymore. And what was the name of that doctor? I'm sorry? What was the name of that doctor from Harvard? Dr. Irving Kirsch. And you can still find that interview online and watch it. It's Irving Kirsch. Kirsch. Okay. And um, with your technique, how many people have you treated and what, what have the results been? Like how many people do you find get better following your techniques with their various issues? Uh, yeah. Uh, my books have sold into the millions. Um, they've been uh, number one bestseller in seven countries, a nationwide bestseller. They've been a top 10 bestseller in 23 additional countries. Um, so, you know, um, you've got those people uh, in our company, as far as people that come to us for mm. help. Uh, my my best estimate, we've tried to track that over 23 years and we haven't been able to accurately. My best estimate is we have personally touched uh, somewhere around a million people. And um, as best we can tell, we have about a 97, 98% client satisfaction rating, all right? Uh, when we've done a little bit of investigation, that two or three percent, they usually aren't doing it. Some of them are, but there's usually a number of them not doing it. Uh, the medical testing, remember, was 87 percent. The double blind studies were 100 percent. Every single study ever done has said it works. And, and, and on every issue they've ever tested, 40s, I think uh, close to 50 now, life issues, physical and non-physical. So we've got proof that it works. If you go to our, our website, and I mentioned it before, uh, you'll find a, a button that'll take you to hundreds and hundreds of stories people have posted themselves about their own healing. Uh, you can read to your heart's content. Great. And with that, we're going to end our Q&A. I would like to thank you. And uh, if we could unmute the audience. I am a